Well, good morning, everybody. Some time ago, I uh, commenced a series from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, just having a look at those wonderful verses there, uh, verses 3 and 4. But just to read it again from verse 1, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he's writing to a church which had uh, several problems in it, Uh, which if you go through the epistle, you can identify these by the little phrase, among you. There are heresies among you. And uh, in this particular chapter, the problem was that there were some who were denying the resurrection of the Lord. And so we have, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh, Chapter 5, for example, that was one about uh, immorality in the church. And so there is immorality among you which is being tolerated. So you can pick out the five uh, heresies that were creeping into this young church early in the, um, uh, the age of the church life. <clears throat> well, uh, I'd uh, I had a previous message on... Um, well, firstly, I'll, I'll read the scriptures. Chapter 15, from reading from verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Uh, That little uh, expression there, fallen asleep, that is a word that our Lord uses uh, to describe those who have died but who knew the Lord as their saviour. They've fallen asleep, asleep in Jesus. But uh, just to focus on uh, these verses, uh, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I had uh, previously spoken about uh, the death of our Lord, his burial, and how uh, those we might have expected to bury him uh, were conspicuous by their absence, but uh, Joseph of Arimathea uh, stepped forward. And then three weeks ago at our evening service, I thought I would uh, handle the the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, The third day, and that he was seen by... uh, Sorry... Uh, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And I was going to speak under the three headings of the uh, foretelling of it, the prophecies concerning his resurrection, that is, from the Old Testament scriptures, and uh, and then uh, the actual historical event as recorded in the Gospels when he was crucified, but rose again as recorded by Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and then follow that one up with um, the doctrinal significance, the doctrinal importance 
of his resurrection, but that proved to be a little ambitious on that uh, Sunday evening, and I only got through the first two points. Uh, the, uh, the prophecy of it, the foretelling of his resurrection, and the actual resurrection itself. But now, um, to continue on, we'll have a look at the doctrinal significance of his resurrection, and for this, we go to uh, the, the Acts of the Apostles and the Epistles. So uh, the book of Acts opens, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. Once again, he's writing to his friend uh, Theophilus, and uh, uh, picking it up from verse 4, no, no, we'll read down to uh, the, end, the end of verse 3. Uh, Acts chapter 1, reading from verse 1, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Many infallible proofs. And if, if it could be proven that he did not rise from the dead, then we would have no saviour because the scriptures prophesied that he would uh, be. And uh, as you come over now into chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost, uh, so the Lord was walking and talking on this earth 40 days after his resurrection and then 50 days was the feast of Pentecost and he had ascended to heaven by this time. But now we find, first of all, that Peter is a changed man from the time of the crucifixion. Then he had denied even knowing the Lord. Three times he denied even with oaths and cursing that he was one of uh, the followers of the Lord Jesus. But uh, 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 listen to his message now. Uh, the day of Pentecost had come and the Holy Spirit descended upon these uh, young believers uh, who had been following the Lord, his disciples and others, and cloven tongues as a fire settled on them and they began to speak with tongues, tongues which were... Uh, understood because um, uh, the, the people who were listening there, uh, well, there were some who mocked, but others were uh, very much uh, uh, amazed by all of this. Uh, picking it up from uh, chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this uh, came about among them, they were amazed that they were hearing not uh, something unknown to them, but uh, people from other nations were hearing the gospel in their own tongue, their own mother tongue uh, with which they had uh, been born. And so um, verse 7 uh, they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? 
And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene. And uh, these were people who had come to Jerusalem probably for the Feast of Pentecost, but uh, not having to understand at all in uh, the Greek, which was the universal language at the time, or Hebrew, which was the national language of Israel, but even in their own mother tongue, able to hear because of the coming of the Holy Ghost upon them. And so Peter, uh, verse 14, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice. He said to them, Men of Judea, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Uh, There were some who were amazed, but others who were mocking and said, uh, no, they're all drunk. And so then he quotes a prophecy from the book of Joel that this was going to come about. And then uh, coming down to verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Now I remind you that this is the same Peter who only seven weeks earlier had denied with oaths and cursing that he was one of the Lord's followers. Even before a slip of a servant girl, he denied the Lord. But listen to him now as he throws out a challenge to these men. He is a changed man indeed. Uh, He changed because he's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. You see the boldness that has come into his preaching now whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then uh, there was that prophecy that um, we referred to three weeks ago uh, from uh, Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. And so coming down now to verse uh, uh, 28... Uh, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried. So David is not speaking about himself in Psalm 16. David is the one who wrote the psalm. But he's writing about uh, the Lord Jesus himself. Verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. But uh, just to come back up a bit, um, uh, therefore let, uh, verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, the result there was that there was a great number of people who turned to the Lord and the church had 
begun. The church was in its infancy at this time. And so um, we come over to chapter 3, and uh, this is uh, another day when Peter and John went up to the temple. There was a man there who was lame. Uh, He was lame uh, from his mother's womb. He'd never walked a step in his life, and he was there at the uh, gate of the temple uh, hoping for a handout because he was dependent upon the generosity of other people. There was no uh, Department of Social Security to look after him. And so uh, he's there looking for a handout, as uh, someone has um, uh, said concerning, concerning him, because he's crippled, he cannot walk. The man who asked for arms, but he got legs, because a miracle took place then and he was able to walk. But... Um, <coughs> Uh, we see here that uh, uh, he, he was um, uh, given the ability to walk, and not only that, he didn't need any physiotherapy, uh, walking and leaping and praising God, and, uh, and so the people are wondering about this. And so we come to uh, verse, uh, well, verse 11. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servants, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but no, they insisted. And so he, he is uh, very forthrightly challenging them uh, for, for this. But um, as he points out here, It is the God of our fathers who glorified Jesus, whom you delivered up, but you denied the Holy One and the just, asked for a murder to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. And so we see here that the resurrection is an act of God, uh, whom God raised from the dead. Uh, In the previous chapter, in verse 22, uh, it was there again. Um, Verse... 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God by, uh, by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst. Uh, verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, put to death, and whom God raised up. Once again, it's an act of God. Uh, You come over to chapter 4 and uh, we have it again in verse 9. I'll read from verse 8 of chapter 4. Peter, because now he's called upon the religious leaders to explain this miracle. Uh, What is it all about? And uh, so verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, 
let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. And repeatedly this comes through in the book of Acts, that this is an act of God and this is an act of God in which he shows his approval of the obedience of his son, the one who was um, obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, as we read in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, remember that well-known passage, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, the one who, being in the form of God, thought it not a, something to be grasped, uh, to be taken, but made himself of no reputation came in the likeness of man and he humbled himself becoming obedient unto death and here in the resurrection we have God's approval of the crucifixion of our Lord as he came to take away our sins uh, we have the same in uh, chapter 10 uh, at the um, at the conversion of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, Peter had to learn a very great lesson here that the gospel message is not just for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. Uh, Cornelius, of course, was a Roman uh, general and um, <clears throat> in chapter 10, uh, in verse 40, uh, coming back to verse 39, and Peter is speaking. He said, We are all witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed, as he's talking to Gentiles now, he's not accusing them of killing the Lord of glory, only the Jewish people, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. And so uh, he's explaining now how the gospel is coming to the Gentiles. Uh, you have it um, in chapter 17, and now Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of the cross, became the Apostle Paul. And uh, as he goes into Europe, coming down from uh, Thessalonica down to Athens, and he's preaching on Mars Hill in Athens. And uh, he saw these shrines uh, to this god and that god, all the gods that the Greeks were worshipping, and there was one to the unknown god. And Paul said, let me tell you about him, the god who is the creator. And he went on to say, and as he's uh, winding up his message there, he said, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he is appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. So once again, we have this statement that uh, the Lord Jesus, his resurrection came about by an act of God who approved of his obedience. Uh, as you get near the end of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, we have it in uh, chapter 26 where Paul is giving his testimony before King Agrippa and uh, he's saying to the king, how should it be thought a thing impossible to you that God should raise the dead? Um, and so you, you see that it is God who uh, raised the Lord Jesus from the dead. 
So uh, coming over now to the epistles, and we'll go to the very first four words of the first epistle, Romans chapter 1, reading from verse 1. And as we see the doctrinal significance, the doctrinal importance of the resurrection of our Lord. Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Christ Jesus. So verse 3, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of God with power. So, um, uh, and that is by his resurrection from the dead. The truth then is declared right at the very outset and in fact as uh, Paul goes on through this uh, it becomes very clear that all of the great doctrines of the New Testament would collapse if he were not uh, raised from the dead. So just as Peter was throwing out the challenge, inviting anyone to come up to contradict it if they could, but um, he knew that there would be no uh, resistance to that. And staying in uh, the book of Romans just a little longer, coming over to... uh, well, well, firstly, um, we, we have that um, in these verses here that, um, that the Lord uh, has proven this by his resurrection and all of his claims to be the Son of God uh, therefore are valid. Uh, his claim to be the great I Am spoken of by Moses in the uh, book of Exodus. <clears throat> Moses had been banished from Egypt. He was uh, raised the first 40 years of his life as a prince in Egypt and he was banished. Um, And uh, while there, uh, at age 80 years, uh, he was there in uh, the land of Midian for another 40 years. Uh, And so at now age 80 years of age, he was looking after the sheep and he saw a bush and it was on fire and it was burning and it was burning, and it was burning, and it was burning, but it did not burn away. And he thought, you know, this has got to be something strange. I'll turn aside. And God spoke to him from the burning bush. He was commissioned to go back. So uh, Moses then asked, well, um, if I tell the people that the God of their fathers, and they ask me, what is his name, what do I tell them? And God replied, I am that I am. You tell them, I am hath sent you. And when our Lord Jesus came, he claimed to be the great I am of Exodus chapter 3. And uh, on those occasions when he used uh, those words, I am, it drew a response from those who heard it, from those who were unbelievers. uh, They... um, 
Uh, one occasion they picked up uh, stones to throw at him. Uh, the religious Jews said, we're the Abraham seed, we've never been in bondage to anyone. And uh, uh, the Lord said, well, if Abraham were truly your father, you would acknowledge me because Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And he said, before Abraham was, I am. Abraham was, past tense, I am, continuous present tense, because he is God, God the Son. And, uh, <clears throat> and on other occasions when he said, I am, it drew a response of one sort or another. Uh, if it was to his, uh, his own people, they worshipped him. There was an occasion on the Sea of Galilee and uh, the Lord wasn't with them when they set sail, when they set off from the shore and they saw him walking on the water in the middle of the night and they thought it was an apparition, a ghost and they were terrified and he spoke and he said, be not afraid and uh, in our translations it has, uh, it is I um, but uh, the words he spoke were, I am be not afraid, I am. And uh, on this occasion, these were his own disciples. They didn't pick up stones to throw at him. They worshipped him. Uh, when they came to arrest him in the garden and uh, the arresting officers were there and Jesus stepped forward, whom are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. In our Bibles it says he spoke, I am he, but you'll see the word he is in italics. He said, I am, and they fell on their back, helpless, because you don't come to arrest the great I am and not have something happen. And so when he spoke those words, I am, they felt, fell backwards, helpless in his presence. But he was there to allow them to take him away. So again he asked and they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And again he said, I am, but this time he allowed them to arrest him, to take him before the Sanhedrin for the first of those mock trials that he faced. So he, he claimed to be the great I am. He also claimed the ability and the authority to forgive sin. Um, that there was a, a crippled man on another occasion uh, coming to a house where Jesus was. The crowd of people had come in there and standing room only. There was no way that they could get in. They had their friend on a stretcher and, uh, and there's no way they, get, they could get their uh, poor crippled friend into the presence of the Lord so being very enterprising, they climbed up on the roof, removed a few tiles and then lowered him down on the stretcher in front of Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to this young man, your sins are forgiven. What? What a thing to say. No one can forgive sins. I can't forgive you your sins. You can't forgive me my sins. No one can forgive anyone's sins. And of course, they're right. Only God can forgive sins but Jesus is God he is God the son and so um, his claims to be God either stand or fall on his resurrection because uh, this was declared uh, in the 
in the Acts of the Apostles. Well, his resurrection is spoken of in, in the Gospels themselves. We have the actual account of it. And uh, just turning over to chapter 6 while we're in Romans here, and we see that uh, we see his resurrection symbolically. Um, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Um, in the previous chapter, it was drawing to a close where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh, so that means the more we sin, the more grace that's involved to forgive. And, uh, <clears throat> and so that, that's the question that Paul is answering here. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The more sin, the more grace. And Paul replies, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So here we have baptism, going into the waters of baptism, becoming submerged and then coming out of the water is a picture of death and burial and resurrection. And so now Paul says, now that you've been baptised, you're now on a new level, you're on a new plane, you need to live like it. Of course we don't continue in sin anymore. <coughs> and he goes to a great effort to, to draw out this. Verse 7, he who has died has been freed from sin. If you've been forgiven of sin, you're freed from sin. <clears throat> so verse 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. And uh, turning now to that great uh, chapter uh, which we read from uh, verse, verse uh, 3 and 4, uh, that he, was, he died according to the scriptures, he rose again according to the scriptures. But pick it up from verse 12. <coughs> <clears throat> now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead but if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen and if Christ is not risen <coughs> then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. So you see what Paul is saying here. If 
if there is no resurrection, then it seems that Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then we who would stand in a pulpit and say that the resurrection is fact, well, we're just frauds. We're preaching error. And if, we, if that is happening, then your faith is vain. It is empty. It is futile. And uh, your sins are yet unforgiven. But because uh, he, he did rise from the dead then um, our preaching is not false and your faith is not vain and your sins truly are forgiven. Uh, Forgiveness of sins is not a delusion. Uh, This is a fact that we can uh, rest fully upon. So, um, uh, so, So we we rejoice in the fact that uh, we have a risen saviour. Also, following our Lord's resurrection, um, he was exalted. Uh, Once again, this was foretold in the scriptures, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord, Lord all in capitals, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, said to my Lord, my Master, Sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And so here now we have the exaltation of the Lord, Philippians chapter 2, which we quoted before, uh, wherefore God has also exalted him that uh, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So uh, he is now exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high and uh, and uh, just uh, looking at another verse from another uh, epistle, the epistle to the Hebrews and chapter 10. Verse 11, Uh, the writer to the Hebrews now is talking about uh, the actions of the priests in temple worship. Uh, The temple uh, where people uh, went to worship to bring their sacrifices for uh, sacrificing on the altar of sacrifice, um, the priests took the blood into the holy place the holy place had three pieces of furniture in it. There was a table of showbread. There was a golden lampstand providing the light because it would have been a very dark place. And there was a golden altar of incense. And the priest would take in a live coal from the altar of sacrifice outside these burning coals, put it in this golden uh, altar of uh, incense, pour incense over it, and the fragrance would fill the whole room. But uh, this is what he says about those priests who do this day by day. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, sacrifices of lambs, of goats, of uh, bullocks and uh, pigeons, turtle doves, uh, the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Those sacrifices 
that had been going on down through the centuries, they could never take away sin. They provided a covering so that uh, a person could come to the presence of God in the person of a priest who represented them there at uh, the throne. But those sacrifices could not remove sin. So he goes on to say, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So you see how Psalm 110 and verse 1 was fulfilled in our Lord's exaltation. Uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And here we have this man, meaning the Lord Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, that is his own self, uh, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So you see, we serve a risen saviour. Why? Uh, what is he doing now? Well, let me assure you that he has a vital interest in our church fellowship here because he so closely identified himself with Christians even in the first uh, century that anything done by way of persecution to them, he regarded that as uh, to himself. Remember the words to Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road when he, Saul was blinded by that light, he fell to the ground and he needed help to, from that point on to get into the city? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He had risen. He was ascended. He was in heaven. But because he was persecuting Christians, our Lord identified himself with them. And uh, uh, <clears throat> so, so that, that is um, uh, how closely he has. Then uh, I, th I think of Stephen also. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and uh, he was one of seven deacons chosen for a special work. And, uh, and when he was martyred, uh, when he was uh, put to death by stoning, firstly he prayed for the people. He said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. We've heard something like that before, haven't we? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Here was Stephen... You remember John chapter 15 where the Lord said, I am the vine, you are the branches. When you are, you, you are a branch abiding in the vine and the sap is flowing, you can produce fruit. Well, here was Stephen. He was a branch abiding in the vine. And how much like our Lord's prayer of intercession for those who are doing him wrong was uh, Stephen's as well. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. But the remarkable thing is when you come to chapter 7 and the closing moments of Stephen's life, um, he said, Lo, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the majesty on high, standing at the right hand of God. 
The psalmist foretold, sit thou at my right hand, because his is a finished work. All the priests who were going into the temple stood because there was no place for them to sit. Theirs was an unfinished work. Their offerings and sacrifices could never take away sin. But, um, and so this is uh, recorded in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, he was seated at the right hand of God, uh, waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. But Stephen saw him standing. Why is he standing? Surely it is to welcome home this faithful servant who um, had his life bashed out of him. But great blessing has come from that, I'm sure, and that is with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who was there and who witnessed that. Uh, and just one last thing as I, as I draw to a close now. Uh, associated with our Lord's burial was this man, Joseph of Arimathea, and, uh, you know, we sing the uh, hymn, uh, An Empty Grave is There to Prove My Saviour Lives. And I'll sing that as heartily as the next person. But I'm not so sure that that tomb is empty now. You see, that tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. The Lord only borrowed it for three days and three nights. And then surely it would have reverted back to uh, Joseph's ownership once again. And, and I, I can well believe that the time would have come, we're not told this in the Bible, so, so you don't need to believe this if you don't want to, but I can believe that the time had come when life was slipping away from Joseph and as he was lying there knowing that soon he would be in the presence of his Saviour that uh, he would have thought, I'll soon be buried in that tomb. It has conquered death already once and it's going to conquer death again when the Saviour comes back. And oh, I'm sure he would have had a real heart of joy as he uh, went uh, from this life and into eternity. So we rejoice that we serve a risen Saviour who's in the world today. And so just to close with that beautiful benediction which closes chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, therefore my beloved brethren and sisters and also not forgetting another beloved sister, one who has endeared herself to many of our hearts and that is Laura Lee. She lives in the province of Alberta in Canada who keeps in touch with us uh, from time to time. Therefore, my beloved brethren and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour is not in vain in the Lord. Father, we give you thanks that we do serve a risen Saviour. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. We thank you most of all that he rose again from the dead and is alive today. <clears throat> and so, Lord, we go forth with, uh, with confidence in our hearts, knowing that our faith is not vain, that forgiveness of sins is not a delusion but a reality, and the blessed hope we have of one day being in the very presence of our Lord 
is so very, very real. And so, Lord, we ask now that you part us with your blessing and in all things that we may uh, heed the, the words of Scripture and to uh, make the Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of our life indeed. We ask these things returning our thanks in our Saviour's name. Amen.